Welcome to CTSNet to Go, bringing your discussions about the most relevant topics in cardiothoracic surgery. The Cardiothoracic Surgery Network, known as CTSNet, aims to connect the global cardiothoracic surgical community through communication, collaboration, education, and interaction among cardiothoracic surgeons and their teams across the globe. Learn more at ctsnet.org. My name is Shanda Blackman, and I'm just one of the hosts of CTSNet2Go. In this podcast, you will be exposed to one of the roundtables that will show you what surgeons today are talking about. Hello, we'd like to welcome you to the CTSNet Roundtable, in which our participants will be discussing the changing role of research for academic career advancement. We're filming here in Vienna in conjunction with the EX 2017 meeting. My name is Mara Antonoff. I'm an assistant professor of thoracic surgery at MD Anderson Cancer Center in Houston. I'd like to welcome our panel of guests. Can you each please introduce yourselves? I'm Pavan Utleri. I'm one of the uh, assistant, I'm an assistant professor of surgery at the University of Pennsylvania and an uh, academic cardiac surgeon. My name is Marco Torina. I am a professor of uh, cardiovascular surgery at the University of Zurich in Switzerland. My name is Moritz Weiler von Balmus. Uh, I just made a transition from Duke University to Houston Methodist Hospital as an adult cardiac surgeon. Terrific. We're discussing today the role of research in advancing one's academic career. Dr. Trina, can you tell us a little bit about how you see research fitting into that progression from student to trainee to seasoned academic surgeon? I think that it is absolutely essential for uh, today's academic surgeon to go through a thorough research training, much more difficult than it used to be 20, 30 years ago, when a, a part of residency was in the lab, but still it is necessary for academic advancement. You have to sacrifice, sacrifice, quote unquote, year or two at least for a thorough research preparation, but then the way is open. Dr. Lurie, can you tell us what steps do you see as being part of the checklist in order to advance in one's academic career, specifically with regard to research? Yeah, as Dr. Tarina said, I think there's actually more of an interplay between clinical training and surgical training. And through the checklist, I think there's really, if you're with an academic focus, finding the mentor, uh, learning the steps involved in research, and that isn't just the benchtop research, but also the, uh, the real life issues, so funding, running a team, running, setting up the infrastructure. Thorough training in statistics. Th yeah, statistics, absolutely. And then continuing to have a mentor really throughout your early and later stages of career as well. I think you, it's a continuous learning process that we can't forget that it stops once you uh, leave the lab. Terrific. Dr. Weiler von Valmus, how important is it for one to engage in basic science research specifically? I think on the heels of the comments of <laughs> Pivan and Dr. Torina, I think it, I, I wouldn't necessarily cast a vote for or against basic science research work. I think it's tremendous value to be engaged in any kind of research work to really get a different perspective uh, from your clinical practice and your clinical thinking and acumen to really enrich that with, with uh, research endeavor whether it be in basic science or, or other kinds of research fields, I think that's a, uh, a, a, a discussion that one can have, but I don't necessarily see that one is better than the other. I will, I will add that I think that basic science research is absolutely vital to survival of our mm -hmm. field. Uh, 
And uh, those students who have an interest in basic science research should pursue it and not be driven away by fear of funding and time. And mm -hmm. those kind of issues can yeah. be worked out appropriately. And the loss, loss of career because you spend career, one or yeah. two years out and everybody else is further than you are. Mm -hmm. You mentioned mentorship as being mentor, uh, mentioned mentorship as being important in that process. How else can we encourage trainees to participate in basic science if it's so important? What other aspects do you see as being critical to helping them pursue their their dreams in basic science research? Yeah, I think it's. It, it, please, uh, you know, also contribute or your thoughts as well. But I think the real keys are what specific aspect are you interested in? And then really finding the, the mentor that can, I really do think it comes down to having the appropriate mentor and the appropriate right. teaching, but really finding someone who can guide you through the appropriate path, pathway and really show you sort of the, the, the ups and downs and guide you through the early potential failures that may exist if you don't have that person. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point, you know, mentioning ups and downs and the earlier failures. I think if someone is new to the field of medicine and field of research, a young medical student, for example, it's important to score some early successes to keep their mm -hmm. and maintain their interest. And it may seem sometimes this is easier done with clinical research, a small case report or what have you, because you can potentially get a quick publication out of something, but I don't think that's impossible in basic science. I think it's absolutely possible. It's how I got involved in, in research, mm -hmm. how I got fascinated with pursuing an academic career and engaging in research was actually in the basic science lab where I had the mentoring that allowed me to have some early successes on which I could build and sort of see the, the long-term perspective sure. and, and, and sort of the, 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 the outlook that is required to really stick with it and, and pursue it. And remember, the mentor does not have to be someone within your division. Exactly. It's somebody that can be at your institution, potentially at a different department, or at another institution even. But still somebody you are looking up to is an example of what you strive to become. Absolutely. These are all really great tips. We briefly touched on this, but Dr. Trina, do you see a role for alternative pathways of academic research, not just clinical and translational work, but what about public health, education, clinical outcome studies? What do you think about those other pathways of achieving an academic niche? You know, the, the answer is very simple. It is not the basic science. It is not the applied science, whatever. It is just learning to become methodic, to become systematic in your approach, to have a basic training in methodology and statistics, and that will make you a good surgeon in any profession. You, will, you might even be in something close by near surgery, but still make a career there, for instance, the assist devices or something like this. Sure. But the basic training in science this is most important, I what we don't have in study. I think that's true, and I often engage uh, with trainees who ex ex uh, express some sort of concern about being assigned to research projects that maybe aren't assigned to their exact field of interest, and I can assure you that most of the initial basic science studies that I did on mice and rats really have nothing to do with the practice of cardiothoracic surgery. They do have to do with oncology, which is, of course, related to my current practice, but I, I'm curious, did any of you engage in early research that was unrelated to your current field of study? Uh, not entirely, but I think I certainly agree with the notion that it's mostly about thinking outside of the box, um, having the, the, the skill set to really question the status quo, um, to come up with a research hypothesis, how to pursue it. Um, 
and, and I think that's a tremendous enrichment for any cardiac surgeon, for any surgeon. And I think as surgeons, we tend to um, stick with what we know and try to control and do things the same way because we want consistent outcomes. So I think that's something that we learn as trainees going through surgical training to have a, a certain degree of consistency. And it's dangerous to some extent because one can get entrenched in doing the same things all over again and again and not ever really deviate. And it may, may be almost discourages to some extent that thinking outside of the box, which is so important to really drive the field forward, mm -hmm. to have new discoveries, and for me personally, to also light up the day and have some excitement, you know, outside of mm -hmm. what is exciting in the OR and what I do as a clinical surgeon. You know, you ask a very important question, and that is, I think several people, in fact, start in a different field and move on. I started my research in uh, developmental neurobiology, looking at mm -hmm. nicotinic receptors. I don't do any research of the mm -hmm. sort. <laughs> but what I did gain from that experience was a deep understanding of hypothesis-driven research mm -hmm. and the scientific questions Dr. Torino alluded to, yeah. which is not only important in the research I do now, but it's also the way I approach patients and their clinical problems. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes we're too quick to draw and cast big walls between basic science research, translational research, clinical research. Sure. It's really one big blur. It's research period. So, so Dr. Atluri, just to change the topic a little bit, once you have done some good research and you've put forward a manuscript, how can you measure the impact of that manuscript? How do we know how successful we're being with the, with the publications that we're putting forward? Yeah, that's a good question. If you were at my talk earlier, you'd know that at the end of my 15 minutes, I didn't really give you an, a good idea of how to measure impact because I don't think we know exactly how to measure the impact other than if within your field, you're seeing the, uh, the research being played in practice and changing the way people are mm -hmm. thinking. And that's the most important thing is, contribution to the field and contribution to science and really make an impact on, in our case, the healthcare delivery. Uh, no, the impact, it's very difficult to measure, but it is very easy to find out after you work with somebody <laughs> for six months, then you know immediately how <laughs> basic his knowledge is and uh, you will immediately see, on this one, I will <coughs> really put my money on. Sure. Well, when we're thinking about our own academic careers, Dr. Weiler von Balmus, how important is it to develop a specific research niche? Is it um, an important part of uh, career advancement? And if so, how do you find that niche? Oh, that's a good question. I think um, I'm, I'm probably not the best example for someone who has developed a research niche early on and then, you know, pursued only that sliver of, of research. I've really done a couple of different things and always dabbled in uh, different fields of research and different research, you know, subjects. And certainly have faced the criticism to be you know, a jack of all trades, but the master of none. And I would disagree with that notion as well. But I, I, I and I think it is, there's some value in pursuing something for a period of time to have some consistency and really get some traction. I think you can't hop from one thing to the next and, and, and dabble in all kind of unrelated fields. But I also believe that you can be a subject matter knowledge in more than just one narrowly defined um, research field or subject. And, and I would certainly encourage um, people who, who, who want that kind of a career as a clinician and research to have something that's complementary, not necessarily, you know, put everything on one, put, put all the money on, on, on one bet, so to speak, and, and really explore different options and, and get that different perspective um, that is complementary, I think. What are your guys' thoughts on that same topic of the importance of developing a niche or 
maintaining competency in a number of different areas? I, I think that given the current um, expanse of cardiothoracic surgery, mm -hmm. if you really want to understand a problem and really work towards addressing a problem, I think it's important you focus. It's very hard to, mm -hmm. to be a jack of all. Mm -hmm. um, you really need to master a few topics. No, but it's uh, typical for any kind of research. There are uh, dead end rounds, uh, something you followed the wrong masters, you uh, heard the wrong <laughs> advice, but the one you are critical towards yourself and your result, you can analyze it, coolly analyze every three or six months what you are doing, then you will be able to re arrange your research but this is something what gives you this is that any kind of scientific training gives you a systematic critical approach and that's what is sure. all about dr trina in your career many of your early research successes and successes actually over many years came from solving major technical uh, technical obstacles and um, really solving a lot of huge problems for cardiac surgeons in terms of how these types of procedures could be executed. What would you say to a trainee who says all of the problems have been solved, there are no more problems that exist? And I, I try to point out in, in my talk today, I think that a medicine is far from perfect and new problems are arising every day. I just mentioned the aging or a similar thing, problems, and new diseases which come up. But uh, I think uh, the medicine and even cardiac surgery, which is now really under fire uh, from uh, catheter-based techniques, cardiac surgery, it's a lot of space for improvement and for new ideas. What advice do all of you have for trainees and early career surgeons who really want to excel in research, but they're concerned about continuing to grow in terms of their clinical practice and skills? Obviously, it's a challenging time when one first finishes their training and that they want to really continue developing that skill set in the operating room, but it's also an important time for establishing an academic career. What advice would you have for individuals in that position? Dr. Trina. Well, uh, I think the American VA hospital system is still an excellent one. You go somewhere to a day-to-day -day practice or a period of six months or a year, and then you are really well-trained. I had the same system in Zurich. It was a city hospital. We would send the future leaders. We would send them for a six months or 12 months. They would be coming back, going back into research. Uh, you have to combine both, and you can combine both research and clinical practice. I agree. I think you can combine both. I think the important thing is don't worry as much about your clinical practice up front. Yeah. That's the advice I was given. It was very hard to follow it early on. Yeah. But focus on your research. Build the research. Your clinical practice will certainly come. And if you have the basic science or the translational or the clinical research piece in place, yeah. you could certainly have both. You just need to be able to focus on building the platforms, right? Yeah, I think I would certainly agree with what's already been said. And, you know... I can offer the most generic advice ever, it's follow your passion, but I do think there is really, it's important, it's important to find something that you're really passionate about because it's going to be extra time that you're spending and if you feel like you're forced to do it and you have to do it because it's important for your CV, it's important, mm -hmm. it's hard, it's hard, it's going to be hard to do it. And I would just say, you know, that the world is a big place and there's so many things out there, be, be patient, you know, it may take some while for you to find something you're really passionate about. And then maybe that's sort of what I was relating to earlier too. It, it's okay to try out different things and then really settle when you find you have found the one thing you want to pursue, you're passionate about. And then it will be much easier to sort of 
bring it all together and make it work. The other caveat that I will say is stay focused. If you want to do research, you want to have clinical practice, stay focused. There's mm -hmm. lots of people that will ask you to do lots of things that are a waste of your time. Mm -hmm. um, and so stay focused on what's important, um, avoid the distractions, avoid the unnecessary time sinks. Um, so we've talked a little bit about trying to integrate uh, research into a busy clinical practice. But what about an even broader picture? What advice would you have for um, new graduates or trainees who are trying to understand how to fit research in along with their clinical practice, but also in their very busy lives that include a lot of additional aspects? I was wondering if maybe we could all share some tips. For example, for me personally, I try very hard to make use of any downtime. So if I'm in uh, awaiting a patient to be prepared by anesthesia or turnover time in the operating room. I always have extra papers on hand to be reviewing articles, things of that sort. Mm. Um, I make lots of lists to make sure that I do a little bit of research every day, even if it's just a couple of small details that need to get done. What other tips do you guys have for integrating it into our very busy lives? Yeah, I think we all we are all longing for the perfect productivity hack. And, and it's because we do have a lot of competing interests and, you know, com, com, you know, Competing for time is, is, is a very common theme, I find, amongst surgeon, academic surgeons. Um, and I, I would agree, I think one thing that's worked for me well is, is bring stuff along for, for my clinical work because there's always more downtime than you think there, there's going to be. There's always going to be waiting for something or this and that um, instead of bantering about anesthesia and not putting the lines in faster. Um, I try to sit down and, and, you know, review a paper or write on a little bit of, you know, something. Um, so I think there's all these little things you can fit in to the day. Um, and then it's probably also important to, to have some, to, to make some commitment to, to really set some time aside where you're going to do the bigger chunks of work, where you're going to really sit down and focus and and, and really, you know, so hammer out a manuscript. Your schedule right. You can't, you can't all calendar. do it in these little... T so I think it's, it's yeah. a combination of, of both things sure. that are needed. On the other hand, you also, you cannot get the impression that we get uh, every year, we get six new residents and they all will become scientists. It's totally wrong. It will be, you have to find out, few, they, all of them go through the same program and then you spot one who has a talent. I think one out of ten is a high proportion uh, who will be able to really become somebody inside. The rest will be just getting a proper training, getting some advice in a, maybe their own small research project, but it's not the heart, it's not in them. There is, if one in ten, it is a, a say, high proportion. Sure. Not everybody is made for a researcher in surgeon. The one other, one piece of advice uh, as well, which is um, sort of building off of what both of you have said, which is the, um, I think there's two buckets of work, academic work that can be done. You know, there's the sort of the stuff you can do short in short pieces, short bursts of time, read journal articles, uh, do a manuscript review, do some of this administrative work. And that kind of stuff I do do between cases. Yeah. And the other thing I do is put multiple cases on a day. And that way I fill my clinical day, get the cases done. But it's really important in my mind to be able to focus on your research. Uh, and it's hard to really think of a hypothesis-driven project clearly and understand all the problems in between cases. It's also very hard to write a really good manuscript in between cases. So you need to focus time on that. Agreed. And you have to defend your time. That's uh, one lesson you, you learn yeah. very early, you know, time defending. Now this, I want to be free. And, uh, 
Absolutely. Well, this has been such a wonderful discussion. We are running a little bit short on time. Does anyone have any closing remarks they'd like to share regarding uh, really the important role of research in advancing all of our academic careers? Good luck with it, and uh, I hope many of you are interested in academia because it's, uh, it's vital to our survival as cardiothoracic surgeons. Uh, as I said in the end of my talk, uh, I still think the academic career is the best possible fulfillment for an intelligent, well-trained young surgeon. Yeah, I think, you know, there's a lot of talk that cardiothoracic surgery is dead and, and you know, research is a dead end, and I, I just don't believe it. And I think there's so much evidence and so much uh, things that show you that a cardiothoracic surgery is a very rewarding career and doing academic work on top of it is really icing on the cake. So I, I join Pavan and Dr. Uh, Torina in, in sort of a call for everyone to really pursue, pursue that combination that is tremendously rewarding and exciting. Absolutely. Wonderful. Well, thank you very much for your attention. Thank you for listening to CTS Net to Go, your resource for podcasts focusing on cardiothoracic surgery. Find more discussions as well as surgical videos and other cardiothoracic surgery resources at ctsnet.org. You can also keep up with CTSNet by subscribing to the YouTube channel at CTSNet Video, by following at CTSNet.org on Twitter, or by liking CTSNet's page on Facebook. I'm Shanda Blackman. Thank you for joining us on this latest episode of CTS Net to Go. Have a great day.